0: As an American man in my upper 40s, I'm required to do two things by law. Number one, try to grow unruly facial hair to my wife's chagrin. And number two, talk about World War II whenever I can. So, there we go. 1940. The Germans are coming into France. here we go that 's them. so everybody remember this. This just is the Germans are coming into France, and they are, they are not going to stop until they 've taken over France and so they come in past the maginot line it 's all the, the stuff you learned about at one point in history and forgot, and they tricked everybody. They thought they were going to go one way, they went another way, and they came through the Arden forest, and they ended up in the month of June one thousand nine hundred and forty taking over France. And they came into France, and they broke France up into two parts. They broke it up into the occupied zone. That's where all the the Germans were, and they took over all of this. And down here was called the free zone, but it really wasn't that free. It was run by this bad French guy named Marshal Patin, and it was based in Vichy, France. That's why it's called Vichy, France. And so in the occupied zone, the Germans were everywhere, and life in the occupied zone was not a fun thing. You were not allowed to fight back if you were French. No weapons were allowed. You couldn't even have a little sharp screwdriver with you. No radio stations were allowed except for the German stations that were pumping propaganda into the French people's ears. You were swarmed by German soldiers wherever you went, these intimidating German soldiers. All the famous restaurants were closed down and taken over as headquarters for the Germans. If you were in France, you had to pay exorbitant taxes to pay for the, friend, for the Germans to be there. You were paying for them to be there. They took art. They took all the good supplies. They made everyone have ID cards. They took all the goods and brought them over to Germany. There were ration cards. Paris's population fell from 3 million people to about 800,000 as people were forced into the countryside away from their homes. Of course, uh, people were taken from France and brought into Germany to work as slave labor to keep the German war machine going. The Jews in France were taken out of France and sent off to the concentration camps. And if you were a Frenchman or a French woman in France, you had a choice to make. And your choice was this. Will I just submit and go along with the Germans? They're our overlords. Go along with it. Or... I respond differently. I want to introduce you to a guy. This is a guy named Robert de la Rochefoucauld. Look at this stud. I mean, I could only wish. And, And if you like him now, just wait. Here's Robert de la Rochefoucauld. When he was 16, that's when the Germans came in. And so he had a choice. He was of aristocracy he was a nobleman in france it would have been he was from a long line of and he could have just (laughs) escaped to england probably even escaped to america and waited out the war until everything went back to normal that's not what this cool cat did this guy instead age 16 he says no way i'm fighting back So he ended up getting in with a couple of British soldiers who had parachuted into France and they got stuck there. And so he and these two guys, they escaped out of France and went in through Spain and made their way to England. Well, in England was... I'm getting in deep weeds here, Charles de Gaulle. And Charles de Gaulle was the symbol of free France. And he went and met with de Gaulle and said, I want to start fighting against these Germans. And de Gaulle said, okay, go ahead. And so he got picked up, De got picked up by what's called the special operations executive. Catch this. It was this British organization that was designed to train these people to go back and fight. So he got trained in hand-to-hand combat, how to kill a guy with a knife, how to jump out of an airplane. And so sure enough, De La boucault he flies back into France. He's safe in England. He flies back into France and he lands. And these are some of the things he did. He goes there and he blows up a railroad line. He's good with explosives, blows up a, a German railroad line in France. Then he blows up an electrical substation. He gets caught. The Germans are furious. They sentence him to death. He's, on, he's in the truck on his way to the execution. He's like, forget this. Woo, jumps out of the truck, runs off, runs off, goes back into town, finds himself standing in front of the Gestapo's uh, offices. Oh no, what will I do? Out front is a Nazi limousine. It has swastikas all over it. You know, it has swastikas all over it. And the keys are inside because it's like, Who would ever steal one of these? Yeah, he stole it and drove out of town. Makes his way back over to Britain, parachutes back in. Meets with a bunch of these other resistance members, and they make a plan. They're going to blow up the Saint-Médard munitions plant to prepare for D-Day. So he pretends to be an employee of the munitions plant, puts on these fake glasses, and he smuggles in plastic explosives in baguettes. Every morning they would bake French baguettes, hollow them out, stick them full of C4, close them up, and he'd walk in, here's my lunch, and he would go in. (laughs) And on the right day, he set all of these explosives around and they triggered it that night. You could hear the explosion 10 miles away. Of course, they catch him again. He escapes again. He escapes. It's a crazy story how he escapes. He escapes. He goes to someone's house, a resistance member's house, and says, I got to get to the safe house. How do I get there? They'll recognize you. Not making this up. Well, your sister's a nun. Can I wear her habit? Sure. Puts on the nun habit, walks through town. Everybody's like, hello, sister, and whatever. And he goes into the safe house, makes it back out. He keeps doing this over and over and over again until the end of the war when he is awarded every big resistance award you could be awarded. Lives to the ripe old age of 88, becomes the mayor of a small town in France. That's Robert de La Roche Foucault. He was a member of the French Resistance. Here's some pictures of the French. Oh, by the way, if you want to read a book about this, you can check this out. Uh, These and many other books are available at your local library. This is a great book about him if you're curious. Let's take a look at some photos of these. These are some French resistance. Look at these people. This is not from a movie. This is actual resistance members. They were sick and tired of having the Germans run roughshod over them. And so they would get together in small groups of people and commit acts of sabotage, sabotage. If you know Beastie Boys, you know sabotage. This is the kind of (laughs) stuff they would do, blowing up stuff. They say that roughly 2% of the French people were part of the resistance. You ask the French, they would say 50%, but it wasn't. It was about 2% of these people. These people were heroes. Let's put a pin in this we'll come back to it. We're in Acts. We're reading through the book of Acts. And by the way, I want to point this out. Some of you can see it, some of you can't. Here's Princess Leia right here. Uh, We're in the book of Acts. I noticed that last week. We're in the book of Acts and I'm going to read you a passage from Acts and hopefully some of this stuff is going to connect. You ready? Acts chapter 13, these are Jesus' followers who are trying to spread the gospel after Jesus has come to earth, died, rose from the dead, gone into heaven, and given the Holy Spirit to the followers. Let's read this. The two of these dudes, Barnabas and Saul, they sent on their way by the Holy Spirit, went down to Seleucia and sailed from there to this island of Cyprus. When they arrived in Salamis, home of the meats, they proclaimed the word of God in the Jewish synagogues. John was with them as their helper. They traveled the whole island until they came to Paphos. There, by the way, this is where it gets weird. There, they met a Jewish sorcerer. What? You know, that is what it says. Jewish? Suddenly, we're in Harry Potter world. They met a Jewish sorcerer and false prophet named Bar-Jesus. And what that really means is son of Joshua. That was this cat's name, who was an attendant of the proconsul. So proconsul was a Roman official who was there on the island, who was an attendant of the proconsul, Sergius Paulus. This proconsul was an intelligent man. Well, he heard about Paul and Barnabas, or Saul and Barnabas, and he said, I want to hear the word of God. So brought them in. But elimas the sorcerer, this is Bar-Jesus, this sorcerer guy, for that is what his name means, opposed Saul and Barnabas, something he did oppose them and tried to, hey, you don't want to listen to them, tried to turn the Proconsul council from believing, from the faith. Then Saul, who was called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked straight at Elimas the sorcerer and said, you are a child of the devil Ooh, ha. and an enemy of everything that is right. You are full of all kinds of deceit and trickery. Will you never stop perverting the right ways of the Lord? Now the hand of the Lord is against you and get this buddy, you are gonna be blind for a time not able to see the light of the sun. Immediately mist and darkness came over this guy and he groped about seeking someone to lead him by the hand. When the proconsul guy saw this, he believed for he was amazed at the teaching about the Lord. Now that's weird, huh? (laughs) There's some weird stuff in that. It's not just, oh, come believe in Jesus. Yay, I will. Okay. There's a sorcerer. There's supernatural stuff. A guy getting blinded. What is going on in this passage? It's weird. It's uncanny. Isn't that a good word? Uncanny. Supernatural stuff. Why is it so odd to us 2,022 very sophisticated humans? Because it points to something unseen. And this maybe is the dirty secret of what we believe as Jesus followers, is we believe that there is an unseen realm. And you want to make any of your non-believer friends think you're a nut? Start talking about this unseen. Seen realm. But to believe in Jesus and to follow Him at its core, at some core part of it, it's belief in something we cannot see. This morning I want to talk about spiritual warfare. Spiritual warfare. Because we, as Jesus followers, are meant to take up arms. Against our oppressor we are meant to function like the resistance doing acts of sabotage against an unseen enemy so here's where I'm going this morning there is an unseen battle with lives at stake and we are. Meant there's an unseen battle. Let's start there. I just want to establish this. Now, here's the deal with the French. They were occupied by the Nazis. You could look around and go, Nazi, 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 Nazi. You saw them all. We can't see our enemy, which almost makes it more challenging. We cannot see the enemy who is after us. Biblically, this is all very well established. I'm gonna run through a bunch of stuff. In the Old Testament, Well, let's talk about angels first, God's messengers, God's big, and they're not like fat, naked babies. These are power, I mean, you don't get scared. Oh, fat, naked baby, I'm so, you get scared of mighty, powerful beings. And that's what angels are, mighty, powerful beings. Angels visit Abraham in the Old Testament. They, Jacob sees them going up and down a staircase to heaven. There's the Passover angel who slaughters the firstborn Egyptians. There's an angel who meets with Gideon. In Isaiah, Isaiah sees these angels in the throne room of God. Elisha and his servants see the mountains full of basically flaming angels defending the nation of Israel. And in the book of Job, we hear about how angels are fighting on behalf of Job. In the New Testament, we see angels talking to Mary about how she's going to have a baby. that when Mary Magdalene goes to the tomb after Jesus has died, there's an angel there. Angels set Peter free from prison in the book of Revelation. They're all over the place. These angels exist to make God's will happen. But there's no need for an angel, right? If there's not an opposing force. Like sort of levels of belief. Okay, there's an unseen realm. I'll go with that. Can you believe in angels? Okay, I can believe in that. Can you believe in demons? Well, that's a a bit much. Then why are there angels? What's the point? We have to believe in the whole thing. Demons are talked about all through the Bible. In the Old Testament, we see that lucifer an angel of the lord falls and he brings a third of those angels down with him rebelling against god in the old testament they're often called evil spirits in the new testament they are demons and they have the power to influence people tempting them lying and accusing And in the book of Revelation, we see that one day they will be put away. And just like if you've read your history books, you know that one day Hitler will die and all his cronies will die and the Germans will be snuffed and the Nazis will be snuffed out. We know that. But in the meantime is the time of great damage. This world is occupied by unseen evil forces. No different than France was occupied by the Nazis, Our world is occupied by these evil forces. Let's go to Halloween talk. Three times Jesus called Satan this, the prince or ruler of this world. Isn't that weird? Don't we kind of think as Jesus followed? no, no, God rules the world. Yes, but for some reason right now, Satan's ruling this joint. And if that seems weird to you, maybe you don't have enough pain in your life. Maybe you don't have a news app. <laughs> First John 5 19. John says, We know that we are children of God and that the whole world, that's where you live, is under the control of the evil one. Second Corinthians 4 4. The God of this age, where when we live right now, has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ. Who is the image of God? Basically, right there, there is a god of this age who is evil. You, this is one of my favorite weird. I love weird passages in the Bible. Here's a great weird one. This is in the book of Daniel, Old Testament. This angel shows up, kind of breathless, to Daniel. It's crazy. He's clearly like, I've been working hard, and he says, "This. Don't be afraid, Daniel. Since the first day that you set your mind to gain understanding and to humble but yourself before your God, your words were heard in heaven, and I have come in response to them." But the prince of the Persian kingdom, biblically, that's not a human. That's some evil spirit. But the prince of the Persian kingdom resisted me for 21 days. Then Michael, one of the chief princes, one of the angels came to help me because I was detained there with the king of Persia. What? (laughs) Some angel warfare going down. This is UFC to the utmost. There is a knockdown, dragout fight between an angel and a demon. I am baking some of y'all's noodles today. <laughs> Ephesians 6:12 says this: He's talking about us now. Our struggle isn't against flesh and blood. Somebody, somebody needs to hear that today. You need to know that humans are not your enemy. Humans are not our enemy. Our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. And the third thing is this, they wanna destroy us. They're not messing around. This isn't Hogan's Heroes. <laughs> I like that. John 10:10, 10, 10, Jesus says this: The enemy comes only to tickle, annoy, and kind of bother. The enemy comes to steal, to kill, and destroy. I'm looking around at a room full of people with red laser dots on their foreheads. Jesus says I've come that they may have life and have it to the full. First Peter 5:8 says this, be sober minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. That's this force that was at work in Elimos The sorcerer, something in him was driving him to destroy and to stop the proconsul guy from hearing the truth of God. So there is an unseen battle with lives at stake. Your life is at stake. My life is at stake. The life of every believer is at stake and the life of every unbeliever is at stake. What did occupation look like for France, for them to be taken over by the Germans? It looked like frustration. You read books about, they were just constantly frustrated. A lack of joy for these poor French people. They were under control. Lack of freedom, misery. They were hungry. They were starving. They died and they had no foreseeable future. What does it look like for us to live occupied lives, frustration, lack of joy, controlled, lack of freedom, misery, hunger for the things we truly need, death and no future. What did freedom from occupation look like for France? The same thing it would look like for us, peace, provision, Happiness, freedom, strong relationships, full lives pursuing what we're meant to pursue. And as the French would say, joie de vie, joy of life. Satan wants to occupy our world in order to keep us from believing in Jesus to keep us from letting other people know the goodness of following Jesus, to keep us from following God, to keep us from being saved, to keep us from living lives of joy, freedom, and goodness. The enemy was trying to keep the proconsul from that, and the enemy is trying to keep us from that. And for a lot of us, we haven't become aware of what he's doing. We haven't noticed that our lives are suffering. We just think, well, that's life, that's life on earth. I guess it's just what happens. I guess these things just, I I don't know. I mean, it's just hard, right? Yeah, but it's hard for a reason. The enemy's at work, he's at work in our lives. He's trying to take you down. He's trying to take me down. He wants to destroy you. He wants to destroy your faith. He wants to destroy your health. He wants to destroy your relationships. He wants to take you out. And as long as we're going, ah, guess that's just life. He's going, hot dog. He loves it. Whatever hot dog is in German, that's what he's... Schnitzel. <laughs> he loves it. He loves it. Best thing the Germans probably ever did was just to start to convince the French this is normal. This is normal. This is normal. There's an unseen battle with lives at stake. And we are meant to fight. We are meant to get ticked off. <laughs> We're meant to be like De La Roche Foucault and go, not today, Satan. Not today. It's acts of sabotage. That word sabotage comes from the uh, old, uh, I think it's a French word for wooden shoe was sabot. And these workers would wear these wooden shoes. And when they got mad at the management, they would start to break things in the factory as a way of revolt. So that's why it's called sabotage. We are meant to take, play, take part in sabotage. Spiritual warfare is this. It's recognizing the enemy's plans and thwarting them. Recognizing the enemy's plans and thwarting them. These are our acts of sabotage. And what we're primarily fighting against is the enemy's main weapon, which is lies. The enemy is prowling around, waiting to sink his fangs into us. And the venom in those fangs is lies. He wants you to believe lies. He wants me to believe lies. He wants my children to believe lies. He wants everyone to believe lies. He is the father of lies. I'll read a little list of lies, see if any of these strike you. I need to be afraid. The only way to face the world is with some fear, fear is logical. I can't let go of that hurt or that wrong. I can't forgive that thing. I know better than others. I know better than God. He has his truth, but I'm not quite jibing with that. So I'm going to go my own way. I need to collect as much money, stuff, and pleasurable experiences as possible. There's another lie. God's not really good. And... I can't face the challenge that's in front of me. This is a small list of lies. But he's lying to all of us. That's what occupation is. It's a world of lies. So as saboteurs, we are meant to fight lies. If you're fed up with the lies that Satan has sown in you, you might be ready to join the resistance. If you're fed up with the lies that your loved ones are receiving and it's destroying their lives, you might be ready to join the resistance. If you look at the world around you and see the destruction of lies and you're mad and you don't want it anymore, you might be ready to join the resistance. 2 Corinthians 10 says this, Though we live in this world, we do not wage war as the world does, meaning with guns and whatnot. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of this world. On the contrary, and by the way, get ready to feel some empowerment. On the contrary, our weapons have divine power to demolish strongholds. Imagine the most solid, fortified Casement within someone's life where lies breed. We have power to destroy those things. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God, and we take every thought captive to the cause of Christ to make it obedient to Christ. Ephesians 6 says this, I read the beginning of this and read the next part. He's talking about we're fighting against the devil's schemes. Therefore, and if you've heard this before, try to hear it for the first time because there's a common passage. Therefore, in light of us fighting all of this, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes today, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you've done everything, then to stand, stand firm then with the belt of truth Buckled around your waist. With the breastplate of righteousness in place. With your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows, the lies of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation, and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. This is the battle. This is how we are meant to arm arm ourselves. So how can we do this a little more practically? Here are our weapons of spiritual sabotage. Number one, pray. Oh, prayer, I've heard about prayer. But then pray. (laughs) I'm learning the value of prayer lately. We are meant to get on our knees and seek out God, and we're meant to call out for his help on behalf of our brothers, our sisters, ourselves, our families, friends, enemies, whomever it is. We are meant to pray. We are also meant to do this. God, I see destruction in my life. I see destruction in my son's life, my friend's life. Will you give me supernatural wisdom to understand what the enemy is up to so I can Fight that little bugger. That's a powerful prayer. Oh God, just help us have good food today. God, show me what is taking me out and keeping me from being the man or woman I'm meant to be. God, show me what lie my daughter is believing. Show me what lie my neighbor is believing so that I can fight against that lie on their behalf. That's a powerful prayer. Second scripture. You will have no clue what's going on if you're not in the word of God. No clue. Louis Giglio says this, those who hear God's voice best are the people who know his word the most. I tried for years to short circuit this. No, no, no. You don't really need to read script. Come on. Yeah, no, sorry. I'll just tell you right now you do. If you don't know the truth of God, you will not be able to act out and fight the lies. Third, worship. We gather and we sing songs because what we're doing is we're praising our father and we're reminding ourselves he is good and every worship song is an anti-Satan song. He's lying and he's going, hang on, I'm gonna sing something to the opposite. And we sing this to us and it emboldens us and that voice goes down. We are meant to use our mouths to speak against the enemy. And here's where it gets a little, but we're meant to go, enemy, you have no place here. You have been lying to me about this and I disagree with you and I agree with God and his truth. And we speak truth over ourselves and we speak truth over other people. We, the Bible says that our mouths are powerful. The words we say have power, use them. I don't believe that anymore. I don't believe this. I believe this. I don't want you to believe this. I want you to believe this other thing. And the last one is your community. Your community. I'm not just talking about a big room like this where you're, oh, we're all here. I'm talking about the tight-knit community you have in simple church meetings, in friendships that you get in there and you confess, I think this is a liability. Or you might be so bold as to say lovingly, kindly, gently, out of a heart of love, I think this is a lie you're believing. Can I help you fight this? When those things happen, the church comes to life. Community is is very, very important. In December, that red dot on my forehead and on my family's forehead, the enemy pulled the trigger. We had, some, going to de- we had something terrible go down in our family. And the enemy marched onto my France and said, we're setting up a big old fear battalion. And he's moving in and he's got the red armbands with the crazy little cross on him. And he's declaring fear in the Davenport family. And I mean, we were boom, decimated. And yet... Though we were exhausted, we knew we had to fight. My wife and I, and even our daughters, we knew we had to fight fear. And so we prayed. And we read scriptures like it was, it, was, it was the only food we had. And we brought our community around us and said, you start praying for us about these things. We had to go on a trip. We had people come into our home and pray over our home when we weren't there. We worshiped God. We spoke things with our mouths. We didn't do it all perfect, but I'm here to tell you this. Here it is a month later, and I feel very free of fear right now. We fought the enemy as a family, and we fought the enemy as a community, and we were not going to let him have occupation in the Davenport house. We resisted with acts of sabotage. We knew what he wanted to do, And we stopped him as best we could. There's an unseen battle with lives at stake. And you are meant to fight. This is the symbol of the French resistance. That's a shot from the great movie Casablanca. If you haven't seen it, go see it the symbol of the French resistance was called the cross of Lorraine and there's reasons why it was the cross of Lorraine, but I love that it was a cross. It was a cross. And we are meant to so closely identify with our good Lord Jesus who fought the good fight and will one day return and set everything right. We are meant to fight under the banner of his love exhibited on the cross. As we fight, in the end, when we die, the Lord will look at us. And you know what he'll give us? The medal of resistance. He will pin it to our chest. So excited that we fought the enemy. Fought for ourselves, fought for our families, fought for our friends, fought for our enemies. Vive, la resistance, vive la resistance, long live the resistance, and may you and I fight the enemy, amen, let's pray, Lord, I don't like talking about this stuff, I'd rather just think about regular life, but I know, I can't look at my world and not know that there's an enemy who wants to take us out. And so I pray in the name of Jesus for myself and for everybody in here, for everybody watching online, that they would choose to take up arms against the one who is trying to take us out. Give us courage, strength, truth, and a belief that you are who you say you are and you will go before and behind us and you will help us every step of the way. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.